You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for whole food, high quality, wild crafted supplements, look at Ancestral Elements Supplements. I offer a liver and colostrum supplement as well as a wild bear clover tincture. With my background in food science, I'm able to personally formulate and create my own supplement line to ensure the integrity and quality of each product. In both supplements that I offer, none contain any fillers. They're strictly 100% food items, making them completely bioavailable and non-disruptive to the gut microbiome. For further information, go to ancestralelements.com and navigate to the supplements page. Now, here's the episode. Hi and welcome back. This is episode 45 of the Ancestral Elements podcast. Eat dirt, the ancestral practice of geophagy. Now, probably a lot of you listening don't know what geophagy is. Geophagy is the practice of eating dirt or earth. Now, before you turn this podcast off and think that I've gone crazy, I want to dive into this concept a little bit because it's a little more complex than just somebody eating dirt. As always, I'm going to dive into the anthropological context of it and then give you a modern context. And we'll try to kind of balance the two because as you'll come to understand, this is a very widespread practice around the world and potentially for very good reason. Whereas in a Western paradigm, we've written it off as an eating disorder, which has a greater classification known as pica, which we will get into a little bit later on in the episode. And really, this is one of these concepts where a deep ancestral past meets a very modern reductionist ideology, and the two don't match. And so I'm going to do my best to parse those two worlds out a little bit and see if we can bring a little more clarity surrounding this idea. Okay, so let's get into it. Geophagy is the practice of eating soil or earth. This has been done for generations and generations, and it's still very widely practiced today. Now, I know what you're thinking. It sounds extremely weird. Why would anybody eat dirt, right? And that's a valid question. And there's kind of three predominant theories that are being thrown around in the current narrative. One is that people are starving which doesn't seem to fit very well because people are just eating very small quantities of clay or dirt about the size of a 50 cent piece or something like that. You know, you can basically put it on the end of your finger and eat it. So that theory doesn't really hold up very well. The other theory is nutritional. So people are consuming clay or dirt for minerality, which possibly has a bit of merit to it. I mean, as we know, soils do contain minerals, but they also bind to minerals. They're chelating agents. And so, while it's possible in certain areas, it's a little bit unlikely. And the third is for protection, for protection against pathogenic toxic factors like heavy metals or bacteria, things that wind up in the diet, in your gut, that you need to purge out of your body. Now, with clay especially being so negatively charged, 
those positive compounds such as heavy metals or many, many pathogens bind to that clay and you end up purging it out of the body before it does serious damage. Now, to me, this is the hypothesis that makes the most sense. And it's been proven scientifically by a lot of research. But it could be a blend of two or possibly all three of these. It probably depends on what populations you're looking at across the world. But we know for a fact that animals do this and humans do it. It's very, very widespread across mammals. Now, if you look at ethnographic reports of when this was first witnessed by Westerners, they thought it primarily was because people were starving, which wasn't actually true. They just thought that people living off the landscape were starving because they couldn't get enough food because only civilized people could get enough food. But, I mean, that was quickly proven to be false and very inaccurate, as many of those initial theories were about uncontacted tribes. And so the next went to kind of minerality. Well, maybe they weren't getting enough minerals in their diet and they craved certain minerals that were coming out of the soil. So they supplemented populations with iron and magnesium and zinc and people still were eating dirt. And it was a very, it's usually a very specific subset of the population. It's usually pregnant women that do this. Now, if it was a minerality issue alone, you would see that in adolescence and old age in subsets of the population that need extra minerals. But that's not necessarily the case. Now, what pregnant women need to do is they need to chelate a lot of toxins so they don't pass them through the umbilical cord to the baby. We have a Western diagnosis for this, and it's called pica. What you'll see is a lot of pregnant women craving non-food items, things like uh, chalk or sheetrock or ice chips. Not that ice chips are going to be bad for you at all, but it's that idea of kind of craving non-food items. And it's classified as an eating disorder, which to me has always seemed a little bit harsh to classify it as an eating disorder. Because if you are in need of something that could actually potentially help and, and has a little bit of ancestral context to it and ancestral practice surrounding it, it's probably not that disordered of eating. It's probably potentially beneficial. Otherwise, people would have stopped. There's clearly some evolutionary payout that's been had, at least anecdotally, because of it. Along with the practice of geophagy, you will also see what's called amylophagy, which is consuming raw starch, things like cornstarch people eat or raw rice. Again, it acts as a binder, right? It binds things up. I mean, if you can imagine eating uncooked rice, what that's going to do to your stomach, it's going to sit in there and it's just going to slowly swell and break down and it's going to take a long time to pass. And what happens is things will kind of pile up behind it. And then when that stuff finally starts to break down, it'll bring a lot of stuff with it, good and bad. So the fact that this is so prevalent among women is interesting because it affects a lot of times over a quarter of pregnant women. Occasionally, it's up in almost the 50 percentile of pregnant women engaging in some type of form of pica, quote unquote. And that's in the United States, in developed 
countries that you see those types of statistics. Now, in places like Africa and India, it's extremely common. It's basically all the pregnant women do this. And if you guys are sitting there wondering what the hell people are doing and thinking you would never do this, think about how many people right now have activated charcoal sitting in their cupboard, right? That's something that is very similar to this. Very similar mechanisms, very similar principles are surrounding it, right? And yet many Many people have jumped on board of taking activated charcoal. Matter of fact, you can even find bentonite clay and activated charcoal capsule together along with some mild diuretics like aloe or something like that to help with constipation from those two other items. And they're selling it in supplements. So if anybody's sitting here kind of judging people for eating a little bit of clay, chances are you've at least heard of people taking activated charcoal, and it's really no different. And if you take it one step further and think about it, ancestrally sitting around a fire, you're going to be getting ash and coals on a lot of your food if you're cooking over an open fire. I mean, if you've ever cooked over an open fire camping, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Getting ash and some quote-unquote activated charcoal on your food is very common practice. And you're not going to be able to get every single little microparticle off of your food. You're just going to eat it. It's going to become very common. So these quote-unquote non-food items have been ancestrally a part of our diet for millions of years since we've been really cooking with fire, right? So this idea of you know, eating some non-food items and strictly just kind of demeaning it down to a eating disorder, I think is a bit misguided. I understand the premise and the kind of responsibility behind it to make sure that people aren't harming themselves in this practice, but yet it's a very human practice that's been partaken in for millions of years. And to use a purely reductionist ideology around it, and to come in to a culture or to a subset of populations and proclaim that they have an eating disorder and that you need to basically educate them out of it is a pretty bold thing to do because you might be missing something. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, you know, go eat clay right now. You know, I don't think it's even extremely necessary unless you feel like you need to do it, because there's other ways to detox. But if you're somebody who is eating foods right off of the landscape that could potentially be carrying some heavier loads of items, or that you may just have some questions about what the soil composition is like, where you're harvesting, or what have you, this practice might not be a terrible idea. Again, some activated charcoal or a little bit of clay, it goes a long way. I mean, they make clay toothpastes, right? You're going to be consuming a little bit of that every time you brush your teeth. So there's ways to do this thing without just going out and making mud patties and chowing down. And that's not what really anybody is suggesting, nor is it what anybody has ever done. And really what I want to get at is the fact that this ancestral wisdom that has been practiced because potentially they were doing it for very good reasons. They could be eating food that had a bit of a toxic burden, right? They could have had some gastric upset occasionally or whatever it may be, and they experimented it and they found out that eating a little bit of clay helped 
bind up that diary they were experiencing or whatever it was, right? And so by going in and thinking you have all the answers before you really sit back and digest the information, no pun intended, then it's a bit short-sighted. And in general, the medical community has made up their mind about this practice of geophagy or any other kind of natural form of pica, I'll say, because there are forms of pica, such as eating sheetrock, you know, that is definitely going to be pretty unhealthy. But eating some ice or some activated charcoal or a little bit of clay, it's not going to be that harmful to your body. It's actually going to be a little bit beneficial. As long as you're not getting constipated and getting blocked up, it's going to bind to some toxins and drive some stuff out of the tissues. But if you were to go to your doctor when you're pregnant and tell them that you're eating small amounts of clay, they would think you're crazy and have an eating disorder, and they would be pretty concerned. I mean, that's the general consensus that the medical community has for this diagnosable, treatable eating disorder that they named PICA. It would take a very open-minded doctor to look at ancestral practices and realize that, that there may be a little bit of validity there. So if you're pregnant or you know somebody who's pregnant who's having kind of weird cravings, you know, that's okay. It's a very, very natural thing. If you're, for whatever reason, craving a little bit of clay or you feel like you just need to get some stuff out of your body, understanding what clay or activator charcoal can do and then using those tools instead of eating something like sheetrock is way better. I would much rather have somebody eat a little fingertip of clay than I would having somebody eat sheetrock. So there are things you can go to that are going to be positive for you. Non-food items. You know, these non-food items in the health and nutrition world aren't talked about generally, at least not in a positive light. Again, like you have this whole negative connotation surrounding all of this. But there are are positives within it. It's been very, very muddied over the years. So what I'm saying is, if you feel like you need these things, try it. But do it smart. Do it intelligently. Like I said, they make supplements with bentonite clay and charcoal. You know, there are, I guess what I'm saying, there are safe, responsible ways to engage in this act of pica, quote-unquote, or geophagy. Years ago now, in one of my nutrition classes, we role-played eating disorder. So everybody kind of had was assigned to eating disorder and had to kind of go through symptoms and what they were feeling. And, and I got pica. I got this very thing. And, you know, everything was negative about it. You know, it was um, cast in a very poor light. And when I approached my professor about it and kind of question some of this ancestral practice of eating dirt for for toxic binding purposes and or minerality. They laughed it off. Um, and I didn't do very well on the assignment. They gave me a very bad grade because I said it could possibly be beneficial. Um, I think I rebuttaled it by sending them some papers on it, actually, that proved that it could potentially be beneficial, and they actually gave me a better grade. But, you know, it's things like that, right? You make up your mind that this is a problem, and it needs to be solved, and nobody should be doing that, and there's zero nuance, right? Which, this just happens to be one of those things where there's actually quite a bit of nuance to it. And if you think about somebody with 
small intestinal bacterial overgrowth that has chronic diarrhea. And they're using something like bile acids to bind up the diarrhea, which is extremely common. There's over 10 prescription medications just to help you not have as much diarrhea. And they're all just bind bile acids up in the gut and which have extreme side effects, not only to your microbiome and how it functions and its diversity, but to your liver and gallbladder. Because when your gallbladder releases bile salts and bile acids, they need to adequately digest food. And if you bind those up, you're not going to be properly digesting. And then you're going to put a burden on the small and large intestines. God, clay is so much easier. I mean, clay doesn't do any of that. All it does is bind up some potential toxicity and cause some poten potential constipation. And if you need some constipation, that's a great alternative to go to than any of those 10 other bile acid binders that are on the market. So there are very logical reasons to be doing this outside of just cravings as well. And that needs to be understood that there could be actually some real benefit to doing something like this. I would much rather eat a little bit of clay than I would have to take prescription medication to constipate myself a little bit. You know, I've never personally had chronic diarrhea, but I've worked with individuals that do and have chronic diarrhea, and it's miserable. I mean, it ruins all your microbiodiversity in the gut because you're constantly purging it all out, and it puts a lot of burden on the appendix because then the appendix has to step in and try to repopulate the gut, and it's a pretty harsh physiological outcome that needs to be addressed. And sometimes when your microbiome's that disrupted, you can't necessarily do it through food. So these quote-unquote non-food items that seemingly are so detrimental to us, we need to take another serious look at them and understand why and how and when to use them. I mean, imagine if you were out in the middle of nowhere and your sterilizing pen for your water didn't work well and you got some diarrhea and were days away from a hospital or something like that, right? A great time to eat a little clay because it could potentially save your life. It not only could potentially bind to some of that bacteria or whatever pathogens were in the water and help purge it out of your body, but it would stave off diarrhea and further dehydration and possible death, right? So these things have multiple purposes. And to throw them all away... I think is very, very short-sighted, as I stated previously. I mean, there is not only thousands and thousands of years of people using clay to treat diarrhea, but it was used up until the 1960s in the majority of cases to treat diarrhea, and it worked amazingly, and still would. But I doubt you're going to get a physician to prescribe you bentonite clay. So understanding some of these ancestral concepts and some of this wisdom that's still out there, that has been passed down to us, can go a really long way, especially in this day and age, when it's hard to come by, because everything has a reductionist lens to it. And if it seems bad and doesn't make a lot of sense contextually, then you get rid of it, right? Or if, you know, you crunch the data and the numbers, and it, you know, doesn't seem to fit a narrative of whatever you're, you're trying to fit it into it gets thrown away. And I think that this is wrong. And it 
really starts with the individual and it starts with your own choices and how much you want to get involved with all that. But there's always a dichotomy. There's always a push and pull between ancestral wisdom and kind of current reductionist narratives. And you've got to be able to balance the two. I'm not saying one is even better than the other, but they have to be balanced and you have to know when to use one versus the other. And it's really important that you learn how to listen to your body a little bit and to read signs. You know, just like pregnant women possibly needing some extra minerality or needing, feeling the need to detox a little bit more and to bind things up and to get them out of the body and out of the tissue, that quote-unquote craving or that propensity to eat something like clay, there's a reason that's there. And if you peel back the layers a little bit, there's probably some validity to it and some truth to it. And with geophagy, that seems to be the case. I can't imagine that eating a little bit of clay is going to be some gateway non-food item to something way worse, which is kind of how it's made out to be, which I don't buy. I don't buy that. You know, I can't imagine you waking up eating a little bit of clay or brushing your teeth with some clay toothpaste like I do every morning and being like, huh, well, maybe I'll go eat some drywall screws, right? It, it doesn't really add up. So it's okay to listen to your body. And if you're eating organic material like clay and there's a long history of people eating some clay, then you probably know it's pretty dang safe, especially when physicians in the United States had been prescribing it up until the 1960s before these bile acid blockers got thrown onto the market. They've even used it in research studies for chemo patients and kind of helping detox the body from the after effects of chemo. And it apparently has some inhibitory effects on some lymphoblast cells. And it's been shown to actually inhibit the growth and actually control the metabolic pathway that some cancer cell lines take. And it's actually somewhat protective against volatile organic compounds, or VOCs, that are given off by your couch and your pergo floor and everything else we have in our houses, right? That have been known to be somewhat hormone disrupting. Bentonite clay actually will bind to those things and get them out of your body. So there's very practical uses for this, far beyond cravings and pica eating disorder classifications, right? There are quite literally scientific valid reasons to consume this occasionally. And it's not like you have to do it every day. You know, it's going to depend on the person, on your environment. But to demonize this and just to throw it away, to me, it's pretty infuriating because here we have a substance that has a long-standing history of use, has been scientifically proven to be very beneficial in a multitude of things, but yet we kind of throw this blanket statement on it and kind of demonize it a little bit. Now, all this information is out there. It's readily available, but society has this kind of weird connotation with somebody mentioning if they eat a little clay, right? It would it sounds off. It sounds like why in the heck would you be doing that? 
But really, there's all these benefits associated with it. And not to say that there isn't negatives associated with it as well, because that certainly is the case. But it seems to be a pretty beneficial thing for humans to be doing, especially in this day and age when we're surrounded by a lot of toxic burdens, such as VOCs and bisphenol agents coming off of plastics, all of those things. But I'm all for looking for those simple solutions that have good ancestry to them that we can rely on and have good data. Not only in our reductionist techniques and overviews that we constantly use, but our ancestral past. We have all this accrued data from both sides, right? So it's very easy to see why this practice has been done for generations and generations. And I'll post a lot of these studies and all this info in the show notes. So if you're curious about any of this, if you have questions about it, you have references to go to, obviously feel free to reach out at any time if you have further questions. But it's things like this that we all should be on the lookout for. It's these things that blend the ancestral wisdom with this ultra-reductionist, data-driven outlook. And you can marry the two together, and they fit a general narrative and picture. It's this type of thing that we need moving forward on our modern landscape. We need to balance the ancestral with the modern. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a pretty weird place. And we've, well, we're already seeing that. So I wouldn't write this off completely. Do your own research, absolutely. See if it's a right fit for you. And know that there's tools you can go to. You know, if you do end up with food poisoning and a really bad bout of diarrhea, you know, it's a tool to be utilized, just like anything else. You know, you don't always need to use a hammer, but it's sure handy to have one when you need to hammer some nails. And last but not least, topical use for clay is a very important tool to have in your toolkit as well. It has been shown to treat acne and oily skin. It's also great for a makeshift sunblock and for poison oak or poison ivy. If you're anything like my wife, when she gets near poison oak, it's a nightmare. It gets everywhere. Whereas me, I can walk through poison oak with shorts on and be absolutely fine. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. I gather acorns in poison oak, actually. So having these tools, if you need them, again, like something with poison ivy or poison oak, you know, having some clay you can rub on your skin to detox and pull some stuff out a little bit is going to be helpful. And even for skin lesions, it's actually been shown to improve the cellular mechanism that closes the gap when you get a cut. And it also acts as a hemostatic, which means it reduces bleeding time and speeds up clotting time. So rub some dirt on it. It's actually not bad advice. I'm joking. Don't go and rub dirt on an open wound you have. It's probably not smart. But you know what I'm getting at. There are uses for clay that go way beyond eating disorders, right? So it's things like this that ancestrally have been practiced and used for a very, very long time that we need to come back to a little bit. All right, I think that's going to conclude the episode on geophagy. Way more than an eating disorder. Way more beneficial than it's made out to be a lot of the time. Like anything biological, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be nuanced. It's not going to be the same for everybody. That's why we need to lean into these long ancestral practices and that have been viewed with a reductionist lens and the potential positive attributes that it can bring. And in this case, clay has. Okay, that's going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening. Get outside, roll around in some dirt, eat some good food, 
get some sunlight, and I'll talk to you guys this next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience, and it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have.